This morning, as we come together, again, back to our series on 1 Samuel, talk, going through and talking about Saul and eventually David and seeing how those lessons that are there in the books of Samuel apply to our lives as believers. A few weeks ago, we, we, we were last in this series before we got into a three-week series on stewardship. We are talking about Saul and how Saul was lifted up and raised up as the king of Israel. Didn't really want that job, but God gave him that job. And when, they came, when it came time to select him as king, they found him in behind the Samsonite bags. He was hiding behind the barrels, behind the baggage, the Bible says. And he was tall, taller than head and shoulders above everybody else at that time. And it was kind of hard to hide, but he did it. He didn't want to be singled out as the king of Israel. And yet God placed him in that role to lead his people, to lead God's people. Remember, he was going to be, the people had rejected God as their king and then asked Samuel to give them another king. But God says, I'm not going to give you a king, I'm going to give you a prince. Because there's only one king, just God. I'm going to give you a prince, a leader to guide you and lead you in your daily stuff, but I will remain your king forever. All seemed to be going well, but they didn't last long. The passage we're going to look at today takes place just a year after Saul becomes king in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. We're going to look at Saul's quick fall. Anybody ever felt this way? Anybody ever happened to you? I've had it happen to me multiple times. I know that's hard for you to realize, to believe. One time, the first time I really remember falling flat on my rear was in Mississippi. I was going to visit Regina. I was still, we were still dating at the time and got out of the car at her grandma's house and in Mississippi, the yard was a little muddy, a little rainy and I thought I was going to be all cute and kicked up my leg like this and when I went to kick up my leg, the, my other foot followed suit and I was very soon horizontal over the ground and landed flat in the mud on my back and I didn't make a good impression on my first trip to Mississippi to meet the family. Yeah, that was quite fun. They figured it could only go uphill from here, I guess. <laughs> Another time I, we got up and we were visiting some friends in St. Louis and I had on some slick pants that I wear to bed sometimes. They're like run, joggers pants, running pants from I had from back in the 80s. They're still with me. They haven't fallen apart. And nice and slick, MC Hammer style stuff. And I got up in the morning and I'm going to take the first step down the first stair to go downstairs. And I had my socks on. My sock hit the edge of the stairs, I guess, and did like this. And all of a sudden, I found myself pulling this guy, literally all the way down. I reach out, grab the, what they call spindles on the rail all the way down and jerk my shoulder. Yeah, you want to talk about shoulder pain? Yeah, yours is worse. <laughs> jerk my shoulder almost out of its socket and I caught myself from going all the way down by three stairs. <laughs> so yeah, I know what it means to fall. And I'm sure we've all been there whether you're playing sports and you bust open a knee like I've done before, running in my cleats on asphalt. Yeah, that wasn't real smart either. Um, 
I haven't learned, in case you haven't noticed it. I don't know where Karis gets it from. But we've all had those slips and falls in our life. But we're talking today about Saul, not a physical fall, but a spiritual fall and a fall from leadership, a fall from influence that would have been afforded his family for generations and generations and generations to come. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see that Saul has been given a task to go and defeat their enemies. And Samuel tells him, go and you prepare for battle. I'll be there in seven days. Don't start without me. I'll come and I'll make sacrifice and I will intercede on the, to the Lord on your behalf. Don't start. I'll be there. Seven days comes. Seven days goes. The people start grumbling. And in his own indirect way, Saul decides to usurp the authority that's not been given to him by God or Samuel. And he goes and he does what seems okay in our mind, and he begins to offer these sacrifices to the Lord to lead his people in worship. And he gets a slap on the wrist for it. He gets taken down a notch. And as you read through this, I don't know about you, but as, as, as I read through this, in my 21st century mindset, in my human mindset, I'm thinking, really, did what he do, was it really that bad for God to rip the kingdom away from his descendants and to rip away the future Messiah coming from his line? I've always, I read this story and I'm always like, really? Is what he did that bad? Yeah. In God's eyes, it is. See, indirectly, he was in opposition to God. And while he appeared to have this face on him that was super spiritual, I'm going to lead my people in worship. You all come together. We're going to have the offering, and I'm going to lead us in worship before we go to battle. On the face of things, he appeared super spiritual. He appeared to be wanting to do the right thing. But indirectly, he was in opposition to the things of God. Indirectly, he was in opposition to the prophet of God in trying to wrest the authority and the control for himself for one primary reason. And we'll get to that in a second. First, I'm going to read the story to you. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5 and following. It says, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the, like the sand of the seashore and the multitude. That's a lot of people. You all been to the seashore? That's a lot of sand. It says, They came and up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and holes and rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and that the people follow him were trembling. 
He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Bad timing on Saul's part. <laughs> it says, Then Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Now if you look at that, what is it that is driving Saul to take from the prophet that which was his right and his responsibility? He had told Saul, don't start without me. I'm going to come. I'll offer the offerings. I'll offer the sacrifice. I will call the people of God to worship. But the people, was it, where does it say that they were? It says they were hiding in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and cisterns. They were fearful, and because Saul was fearful that the people were going to run away, he acted on his fear rather than in his faith. Instead of trusting in what the prophet of God had told him, instead of trusting what God, how God was directing him, he acted in fear. And when we act in fear over faith, we always choose wrong. When we act out of our fear for what might happen, we tend to react emotionally rather than on what God is, how God is leading us and directing us. If we had acted in fear, our family, I'm talking about, we would have never gone, never gone to communist China or to North Korea. Because our fear told us there were some scary people there. We would have, Regina and I would have never gone overseas to begin with because it's a different culture. They don't speak English there. They don't eat American food. They have a totally different culture and they, they're different people over there. Our fear told us to stay back, to not step forward. And yet our faith told us, you need to follow and obey. If we follow our fear, we end up making many unwise, wrong decisions. As a child of God, we have to act in faith always. 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 We don't have a choice. We, we accept Christ in faith. Today we're going to celebrate new life as we baptize somebody this morning at the end of service. We're going to celebrate receiving Christ by faith. We're going to, we celebrate living our life by faith. We celebrate declaring words of faith. We have to live our lives on faith. We can operate in fear if we want. It's our choice. That was Saul's choice. And when the people started to disperse away, he got afraid that he wasn't going to have the right number of people to go up against battle, up, up to battle against the enemy. So he chose to take what was not his. He put on a great spiritual front, but underneath he was controlled by the spirit of self. He put forth a big spiritual front. Don't worry, people. I will lead you in worship. 
don't worry, we can bring the offerings here, bring them in, here's the sacrificial lamb, here's the peace offerings, here's the sin offering, I can do it. After all, God has made me king, hasn't he? And yet, really, it was his fear that was driving him. When we look at our lives today, we look at our church, we look at our ministries, we have to ask ourselves, what is prompting us to undergo certain ministries in our church? What is prompting us to have to do or not do certain things in our church? What is prompting us to not go into our community to reach our community where God has placed us? What is prompting us to be satisfied with the status quo? When I see God, I hope he never says, you did a great job with the status quo. I hope he says, you did a great job walking in faith and taking that next step and leading people to take that next step as well. See, we are called as the children of God to not just be satisfied, to not act in fear because things might change, or to just sit back and relax, but to walk in faith. And really this lesson of Saul for me is a lesson in leadership as, as your pastor. As, as I look at this and I'm saying, here is the man that God set up in charge of his people. He failed. And as your pastor, I look at that and I go, what lessons are in that for me? How can I not fall into the same trap as Saul and have the blessing of God removed off of me personally and off the ministry where he has placed me? What is it that Saul did? He acted in fear. He looked upon all this, the scattering of the people. He looked upon what was going on around him and people running and hiding in caves and in cisterns. I mean, those are nasty things. Those cisterns, those were, that's where water was, but it's like a well. But it was a nasty, stinking water in the well and other things. And so he acted out of fear trying to bring the people back to the battle. When we look on our church and think that we are the ones growing our church, we do God a disservice. The people who God has brought into our church, y'all, you know, I'm from the South. I'm going to teach y'all some proper language, y'all. It's no accident that God has brought y'all here. There's no accident that God has brought our family here. There's no accident that God has placed our church at 3751 Cottonwood Lakes Boulevard here. It's no accident that God has placed your house at your address there. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. We talked about this last week. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against me. That's encouraging to me. 
As I look upon our church, I look upon our congregation, I look upon churches all around this community. This is community. I know you don't get to meet with all the other pastors like I do. We get to share stories about what God is doing. We also get to share some of our frustrations about what God, what, how we act, and okay, what's what's going on in your church, and yeah, okay, and, and uh, we share stories about y'all. Some are good, some are not so good. I hear them, and and I'm like, you know, God is still doing a work. God is still doing a work. God is still doing work because he's going to build your church. He's going to build this church. I'm so thankful that Jesus said that, that I will build my church, not David will build my church. When he took the nation of Israel into battle, he wanted them to depend on him, not on Saul. Saul's trying to draw the people back to himself. He's trying to build up his army, right? He doesn't want his army to scatter. No, wait, don't go away, come back. We're going to offer the, do the offerings now. We're going to have the peace offerings and the sin offerings. And don't worry, my army, we're going to be okay. See, he was more concerned about his own timetable than following the word of the Lord, than following what God had already said. He was afraid of people walking away. He was afraid of failure. Etc., 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 as Yul Brynner famously said. Etc. They let fear get in the way. So, what's the verdict? What, what, is, what judgment does God bring upon him? Look in verse 11. Samuel shows up. You ever had that feeling at work? You've, you know, you've done something that's not quite right or maybe you're a kid and you your parents come walking just after you've done something that you shouldn't have done or husbands you've said something or done something and your wife walks in just at that time anybody else there with me or am i the only idiot (laughs) thank you rich you and i we're a good company that's my other name it's on the back of my shirt (laughs) Somebody comes in and they catch you at just that time and you've done that thing or you've said that thing and you're like, I didn't know you were coming right now. I didn't expect you to come home right at that time. Oh, stink. You know, you're, it's like you're on a diet and, all, and you're like, oh, I just need a hamburger. And you walk out and grab the hamburger just as your coach walks in or, and then, and, 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 or you're when I was in CrossFit, you know, I was trying to be all healthy and do all that stuff back last spring and eating well. And one day I was just like, I just need a Dorito. I just need a Dorito. And I didn't grab the small bag, <laughs> the 99-cent bag. You know, I didn't grab the $1.69 bag. I grabbed the three sixty-nine bag. Oh, yeah. And I'm munching away. I'm just getting a few. Yeah. What's the old Fritos saying? You can't eat just one? Yeah. Couldn't eat just one or two or ten. Oh, yeah. That bag was good. (laughs) The whole thing was good. (laughs) And then I looked at my fingers. (laughs) They're the wrong color. (laughs) And my lips. (laughs) I go home. My wife says, Here, give me a kiss. Don't want to. You're going to smell what's on my breath. I don't want to give you a kiss. I've already washed my hands and my face, so that's okay, right? 
but I know it's on my breath. I don't want to be caught. I'll be right there, gotta go get a drink of water. I'm trying to hide it, right? That's Saul. Samuel comes walking up. He can't just wash his fingers in his mouth. He can't just take a drink of water and try to rinse it out and get the... It's all there. And everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. And Samuel says, What have you done? Oh, man, can you imagine? The sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach. Saul said, Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, Well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you didn't come within the days appointed, and the Philistines had mustered against me a Michmash, I said, Now, the Philistines are going to come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. <laughs> oh, I'm seeing that the enemy is coming, but I have not yet sought the Lord's will, so therefore I'm going to do this. So I forced myself. I forced myself to eat those Doritos. I forced myself. My stomach was cramping up from hunger. And I offered the burnt offering. I forced myself. And Samuel said to, to Saul, You have done foolishly. I hope I never hear those words from our Lord. I hope I never hear those words. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God which, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Forever. In other words, your family would have been the, the ancestors of the Messiah. You would have been the ancestors for Jesus. He would have been from the tribe of Benjamin. He would have been of the, of the tribe of Saul. And your family would have been lifted up over Israel forever. But! Wow, oh, I hate that word. Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept the word, not kept what the Lord commanded of you. As I said earlier, doesn't that seem a little harsh in our eyes? So really, did he, did he really do something that bad? He, he just led the people in worship. But if you look through God's eyes, we're not, we're, we, we try to look at everything through our eyes, right? But if you look at it through God's eyes, he had rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected what God's man had told him. He rejected the prophet. When we think we know better than God, then we live how we wish we would rather than how he wants. When we think we know better than God, we live how we wish rather than how he wants us to live. And what's the one little word how he wants us to live? Faith. Faith, not fear. Faith overcomes all fear. Fear is Satan's tool toward us to make us act the way that we want. And when we walk in fear, we can't live in faith. 
See, that's the ultimate definition of pride and disobedience. When I do what I want to do rather than what God wants me to do. And I do it out of fear. It was a deep spiritual failure. He put on the airs of real, authentic spiritual relationship with God, but he had none of its power. He put on the airs of saying, Come before me, we will worship the Lord together. But he had none of the power. As your leader, as your pastor, that's scary for me. Do I come, in other words, do I come before you on Sunday mornings with the airs of spiritual authority and the appearance of spirituality and I bring the word of God before you but yet really in my private life is there no power? As you lead the ministries where God has placed you and as you are in charge of helping people that, where God, that God has placed you, do you put on this air of spirituality and yeah, you come, come to our church or come, let me show you the word, what God has shown to me. But yet you know really in your heart of hearts that there's something not quite right. You look good, you smell good, you, you walk good, you have wear the right kind of clothes, but yet inside we are what Jesus called whitewashed tombs when he talked about the Pharisees. Well, Saul. He looked good. He put on a good front. But yet God said, no. I reject what you're trying to do. You're just a whitewashed tomb. And I have another in mind who's a man after my own heart and who will be a prince for my people. This is much like a churchgoer who spends no time communing with the Father outside of Sunday morning or fellowshipping with others in the body of Christ outside of Sunday morning. If this is all the fellowship that we get, if this is all the Bible study time we get, if this is all the worship time that we get, then we're like Saul. We're like that whitewashed tomb. See, this is just to be that charge in your life to get you another five or six days down the road. This is that time in your life when we come together and we worship God corporately, we lift up his name corporately, because we God knows down the road this week, when you're not we're not all together, you may need this encouragement time. You may need this spark to get you through the rest of the week. When you're frustrated and angry and something's going on and things are just not going right, you can look back on Sunday mornings, and you can rely on that charge that you're going to get from being here, from singing the songs, and as God brings those back to your mind, as you're sad, as you're frustrated. We had, in our church this week, one of our members lost her father. And what has sustained her was this fellowship. Being able to reach out through email, through social media, to her friends, and saying, pray for me. My dad's gone, and I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's in heaven or hell. I, I don't know. Being able to find that sustaining power and encouragement from the body of Christ as she reached out to other ladies in our church. To find that strength there. See, this is the jump start for your week right here, right now. This is your jump start. 
as we come together. Second Timothy 3, 5, 1 through 5 says this, and this kind of summarizes Paul's actions. I mean, Saul's actions through this. Paul is writing this. He says, but I understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like any time in history that you recognize? Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Why does Paul say avoid them? Because they are a drain on your battery. They are a drain on your battery. If this is the time of the week we come together to get that charge, but yet then you hang around people all through the rest of the week that are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient parents, blah, 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 all those things. It drains you from your joy. It drains you of your peace. It drains you of your love that is grounded in Christ and you've instead become hanging around those people and you know that pessimistic people attract pessimistic people. Naggy people, negative people. We call them naggy in our family. Naggy people attract naggy people. Those who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure. They may appear spiritual, but they lack the power. And Paul says, avoid those people. Because your battery will get drained and you'll begin to act like one of them. So come Sunday mornings and you get your battery recharged. Saul's failure to be truly devoted to the Lord. He appeared holy, he appeared spiritual, and yet he lacked the power therein. He appeared to have it all together but he lacked the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He appeared to want to lead his people to God, and yet really, in in, in essence, he was leading people back to himself because he lacked the power of God. Where's your fruit? Saul's fruit finally came out. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, it prospers. The fruit of Saul eventually came out. His root was not planted in the Word of God. His root was not planted in true spiritual depth. His root was planted in himself. 
Our fruit, our roots need to be planted in God's word first and foremost. Our roots need to be planted deep by the streams of living water. So that when, it's not up there now, when those who are lovers of self, lovers of money, those who are abusive, those who are unappeasable, come our way, they don't sap our strength. They don't drain your battery because your battery, your roots go deep into the roots, to the living water that is God's word and into the community of believers to come together to get that recharge. Saul had ultimately failed his people by leading them astray. And if you read through, we don't have to do it this morning, but if you read through the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 14, you see that Jonathan did not follow in the way of his dad. In fact, it says of Jonathan... It. it says it, it talks about he, in, in the first part he says that he led the people in godly leadership he led them to fight the philistines and drew the people to god rather than to himself he was a leader of the of the commander of the garrison of of saul's army but he, he was not drawing people to himself he was drawing people to the purpose and the plan of god and it's no accident then that when David shows up on the scene here in another chapter or so, who does Jonathan attach himself to? Samuel anoints David as the next king of Israel. And he gets to appear in Saul's court. And Jonathan then sees the Spirit of God in David. And he is attracted and he attaches himself to David. They become best buds. They become bosom buddies. See, Jonathan sees what has become of his dad. And he is yet attracted to David instead. The end of verse, the end of chapter 14, it's kind of a summary statement of Saul. A summary statement about his life. 1 Samuel 14, verse 47 and following says, When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel... He fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. And whenever he turned and routed them, he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Verse 52, there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. But then look at the very end there. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached him. To himself. See, Saul's whole purpose was to build up his army. And when he saw somebody that was capable of fighting, somebody who was capable and, and, and able to fight, a valiant man, a strong man, he attached him to himself rather than pointing him to God. He attached him to himself and what he was trying to accomplish rather than attaching him to the army of God and getting him trained up, getting him discipled, getting him, pointing him to the things of God. He attached them to himself because he was more interested in building up Saul's army rather than God's army. And if he had just gone the other direction, if he had been more interested in building up God's army, God would have taken care of Saul's army. If he had focused on God's army and the things of God and what God wanted him to do, God would have taken care of all the rest. 
may still may not have been easy, may not have been like a walk in the park, but God would have taken care of it. God would have taken care of it, but instead Saul was all about building up his army. He used the things of God when it was convenient, but he had no real intention for his men to follow God. He used the trappings of God. He used the... We all know of churches that have done this. They use lots of crosses or they use lots of stuff in their churches and they use lots of big words or they, they use commands and they have a very... Uh, a pastor gets up there, you better do this or you're going to go to hell. They use those trappings of spirituality to coerce people into following God. And yet I have found that when a person gives their heart over to Christ and they truly begin to follow the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts, you don't need coercion. That's why I don't stand up here and beat you over the head every week. Because I want you to fall in love with Jesus. I want you to fall in love with His Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit... You realize what an awesome thing it is that the Spirit of God lives within us? Has that ever that just blown you away that the Spirit of God doesn't just exist outside of us? He lives in us. And when you get to understand that the Spirit of God lives in us, you don't have to be coerced. We don't have to be made to do something. You do it because, man... I love God so much. He's coming living and indwelling in me. How can I not? I want everything about my life to please Him. I want everything about my life to honor Him. I want everything I do in this world to bring glory to Him. Because the Spirit of God is in here. And Saul's life is such a picture of what that doesn't look like. Saul and Eli, in fact, were very similar in, in their attitudes. They, they had the trappings of spirituality. Eli was the priest at the beginning of 1 Samuel. We first began this whole series, this whole discussion. You think about it. Saul and Eli were very similar. They both were very passive leaders. They both kind of led people and, and didn't really lead them well. They were Eli was lackadaisical, lackadaisical about the things of God. Saul was very manipulative. They used those things. They used the spiritual trappings to lead people and guide people. Eli and Saul both treated God's treasures with some contempt, the scriptures with some contempt. They didn't want to obey, fully obey the word of the Lord. And they both had their leadership stripped from them. Eli was told that the true priest, Samuel, would replace him, and Saul was told that the true king of Israel, the true prince of Israel, would replace him because they had a very similar attitude. They forgot that God was wanting this. He was wanting this. This. Not all the other stuff. Because see, when God gets a hold of this and this, the other stuff comes by default. That's why I don't beat you over the head. I don't coerce you. My desire for Mountain States, and for the attenders and members of Mountain States, is that you fall so in love with Jesus, that you fall so in love with His Holy Spirit that indwells us, that it becomes natural to spend time in His Word. It becomes natural to fill your mind 
with the things of the Lord. It becomes natural to want to hang around others who are part of the body of Christ. It becomes natural to go and want to reach our community with the gospel of Christ. It becomes natural. Not unnatural. When you have to force it, when you have to force those things, that lets me know that you haven't really fallen in love with Jesus. Because then you're trying to do it in your own power. In our journey toward godliness, as we close, in our journey toward godliness and Christ-likeness, are we doing things on our own power or in the power of the Holy Spirit inside? Like Saul, are we trying to force God's timetable or are we content to wait on God's timetable? Saul was a man who trusted in his own actions, not in God's. And as much as he started off as one just hiding in the baggage, refusing to be recognized, in the end, his desire was to be the center of attention, to draw all men to himself. Now you see behind us, behind me, the summary statement of Paul's of Saul's life. That when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached them to himself. What would be the summary statement of your life? What would be the summary statement of your life? I was looking at pictures for this slide, ran across a bunch of funny tombstone statements. Here lies a lazy man. Here lies the deadbeat. I told you I was sick. What would yours say? What will yours say? Because we're all going to have one. We're all going to have one. Not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us is guaranteed next week. You may have a new pastor by next week. Lord Jesus, come soon. <laughs> Not one of us is guaranteed. What will your summary statement say when people remember you in your obituary, on your tombstone? How do you want them to remember you? Faithful. Loved God. Lived according to the Holy Spirit. In awe of our Creator. Walked according to the word of the Lord. I hope those things can be said about you and me. Because we're not going to be the ones writing our tombstone, right? It's going to be somebody else writing about us. What's yours going to say as we pray? Lord Jesus, as we come together this morning, as we finish up, we consider... the work you want to do in our lives. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that you have drawn us to yourself, and you desire more than anything else for us to follow you, follow your word, to live according to your scriptures. 
to not live according to fear, but to walk in faith. And this morning, God, I ask for those who may be in this room that have not yet committed their hearts to you, they're not yet following you in their lives, they're still living according to their passions, their desires, that today would be the day when their hearts are given over to you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will get the glory in and through us. Your name will be lifted up through the membership of Mountain States so that all we do and say be done to bring glory and honor to your name because you are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray.